0: Welcome back. Today, I am joined by Dr. Julie Smith. Julie is a psychologist and author of the number one Sunday Times bestseller, Why Has Nobody Told Me This Before? Now, in today's conversation, we get into some big topics that I was really keen to discuss with Dr. Julie. We talk a lot about the small, simple joys, things that we can do every day that are inexpensive and and will help us to live and feel better. We talk a a lot about burnout and about what burnout really is and the dangers of ignoring it and what things we can do to, to mitigate that and to... To recover from it and we also talk about mindset and, and toxic positivity and how important it is for us to really understand both positive and negative emotion so it's a really honest conversation both Julie and I share you know how how we're feeling at the moment and how we manage these things just because we're people that share this information and we create content around helping people to understand you know living better well-being performing at their best doesn't mean that we are exempt from it ourselves we are humans we are mothers we are working and there's a lot of of the conversation that i really i hope people will hear and go oh wow yeah we're all in this together so let's dive in to this week's episode with dr julie smith welcome to the power hour i'm adrienne herbert Wellness coach, international speaker, and author. Each week, I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, changemakers, and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to join us this week. Oh, Thanks
1: for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I know you have had an incredibly busy start to the year. You've recently published your first book, which went straight in at number one on the Sunday Times bestseller list. So congratulations. Thank you. I know how much work it takes, you know, going into writing it, but also after it's out, you know, all of the, um, all of the things that it takes, the interviews, the promotion, and i I mean, we did a, a conversation together, didn't we, live for, mm-hmm. for Penguin, that yeah. was fascinating. And hence, I had to invite you to come and join us on the show.
1: Thank you so much. It's, it's a We had such a good time, didn't we? We were kind of chatting and we obviously kind of th- think similar in a lots of ways. So we were kind of bouncing off each other. So it's good to carry on the conversation here.
0: Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of things I want to talk to you about today. But first, for anyone who's listening, I know you have a huge audience online. You have lots and lots of fans. But for anyone listening who maybe isn't familiar with your work, could you tell us a little bit about what you do, but most importantly, why you do it?
1: Sure. So uh, I'm a clinical psychologist, first and foremost, and um, I spent about 10 years in the NHS. And once I had children run a very small private practice, it was just my, me. Um, and when, when lots of people were coming through for therapy, um, I found that lots of them didn't necessarily need long term therapy. So Lots of people don't realise that when you go to therapy, there is talking, but there's also a bit of learning about how your mind works and how you can influence your emotions and your mood and that kind of thing. And um, I found that lots of people, once they had that part of therapy, so the educational part, they felt so empowered to manage their own mental health and and uh, sort of manage day to day and and kind of take the lead on things. That lots of them were kind of raring to go and saying, "That's that's brilliant. I can I can go with this." So. Um, you you know i became sort of more and more passionate over time that people should have access to this i mean that's why the book is the title that it is why has nobody told me this before it's it's an amalgamation of all the different things people used to say to me in terms of why on earth have i not been taught this before you know um, this isn't rocket science it's it really easy to learn but when i put it into practice every day, it's making a big difference for me. So, um, you know, I felt that people shouldn't have to pay to go and see a therapist or a psychologist to find out what is essentially life skills and understanding about how your own mind and body works. And uh, my husband kind of said, well, go on then, you know, make it available, put it out there somewhere. And um, so we sort of started making a few YouTube videos and stuff, and at the same time uh, my husband found TikTok and thought well there seemed to be a lot of young people on here um and lots of them kind of expressing their you know thoughts about mental health as well but there were no professionals on there kind of adding in a bit of education so we thought we'd give it a go and um made a few sort of short videos with just a, you know one little message in at a time sort of bite-size information and um that was just before the pandemic hit and during that sort of well during the last two years it's just um just blown up, and it turns out lots of people were hungry for that kind of information. So, um, well, I think that some of the messages that I get though are from people who say, "Yes, yes, this is me." Or, "What if? What if this happens?" And what? If, what are the step by step? What are the details of this kind of thing? So, um, you know, if your short form video is such a great way to reach so many people, but uh, you can only fit so much into sixty seconds, so. And that's really what the book is about, is giving out that detail and that step by step um, so that people can really, if they are on a bit of a self-help journey, that they can really get the sort of the detail that they need to keep going back to.
0: Yeah, because you mentioned that you know TikTok videos and social media, your Instagram. You, you mentioned you said it's blown up. I think that's an understatement, Julie, because it's absolutely you know. It's, I mean, how many? How many? I'm not on TikTok. I'm not going to lie. I feel like I I have a ten year old son. I know you have children as well, and I feel like that's you know him and his friends. But yeah, what's the? Give us some of the numbers because I know some of those videos have been seen by millions of people.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, so I think I think there's 3.1 million of us on there at the moment um, on TikTok, and then another sort of just over half a million of us on on Instagram, um, and some on YouTube as well. And it's sort of, uh, I think the, the biggest video went to something like 33 million views or something like that. And um, and actually that was when we were kind of playing around with other psychology things. So, you know, psychology isn't only about mental health, it's about, you know, lots of different things. And we did a video on like facial recognition and how, how your brain works to recognize faces and stuff. And um, the, the way that we kind of explained it just had, I guess, really good rewatch value so people watched it twice and so it just kind of flew and uh, yeah um that was a bit sort of overwhelming we i think we i can't remember what the number is of how many followers we, we gained overnight but um wow. yeah for someone who never used you know used to miss out on invitations because she never checked her facebook it's <laughs> it's a bit overwhelming
0: <laughs> yeah and it's great to hear as well because i think you know for a lot of for a, for a long time, I felt like there was quite a polarisation between social media and healthcare professionals. And I definitely heard a lot of people kind of on panels and, you know, events, they kind of had this like waggy finger, you know, oh, social media is just full of people who don't know what they're talking about, don't know what they're doing. And actually, I'm a professional, you should listen to me. And so I, I'm not, you know, obviously, that's quite a, a, a characterization, but I feel like it's actually really great that instead of kind of, denying that you know social media is is the powerful tool that it is i think actually utilizing that and saying yes healthcare professionals can share as you said education information people want this and if that's where their attention is if young people's attention or anyone's attention to be honest if it's online if it's on social media then of course you know meet people where they're at share that information and you know i have that approach myself and i think whether somebody's you know a nutritionist whether they're a psychologist whether they're a dentist you know if you've got information and education that you want to share to help people to help themselves then what a great place to do it because their attention is already there I think it's fantastic
1: yeah absolutely and that was a big um a a big sort of inhibition for me you know the thing that was making me think oh gosh I don't want to do this and and I think I had about 100,000 followers on TikTok before I even told anyone in my family other than my husband um who was helping me do it but um and part of that was you know the the perspectives that I sort of feared the most were of you know peers and professionals um because I you know I sensed that view as well that there was this sort of complaining of social media and and real stepping back from it um but at a certain point when we started to get these you know this feedback from real people saying wow that that's completely changed my perspective on something um and or thank you i'm using this skill that you that you put out there and it's working it's helping thank you so much you know where's the next video coming from and um and it's those sorts of things that made me think well you know i can sit in my therapy room and see one person at a time and complain about the fact that everyone's attention is on social media or i can get in there and add something positive to the mix you know i can't control social media i can't control any any misinformation that goes on there but what i can do is try and put something of good quality into the mix so that You know, when there are young people or older people on social media um, who are maybe even vulnerable looking for something, they have a chance of coming across something that is better quality.
0: Absolutely. I think it's fantastic. And so I have actually pulled out three of uh, three posts that I've seen of yours, which I would love to discuss today in in more detail, because as you said, 60 seconds is great. And you can kind of get these uh, inspiration to learn more and also, you know, tools to take away. But I've picked out three that I'd love to talk to you about today. And the first one is simple joys. So this is a graphic that you shared recently about simple joys. So things such as, you know, things we can do in our daily lives, such as watering the plants, reading, getting into a comfy bed, having a hot drink, walking the dog, small things which, you know, are free. And and we, we all say that simple joys and small things in life really matter and they can impact our mental health and well-being. But as we know, there is so much on offer in the mental health and well-being space now, from apps to wearable tech, classes, courses, teas supplements talking therapies physical therapies there's so much out there it can be a little bit overwhelming and I think we forget about the small stuff or we forget about the free stuff and we think oh, okay I've got to have you know a program or an app or something that's going to kind of you know give me more so I'm not suggesting those things are not valuable and and necessary sometimes but I'd love to talk about what things are accessible for everyone, things that are quite inexpensive, if not free, and why it's so important for us to remember the simple joys and how they can make us feel good and how they can help us to live well, too.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, where to start? So, I guess something that we would do in therapy with, with people, that you know, it's really important to understand that while there is a world of you know marketing out there that's trying to convince you that you need to buy good mental health actually with with a bit of education and understanding about how your mind and body works you realize that a lot of the things that help are actually free you know so being able to uh, to move your body for example uh, doesn't involve doesn't have to involve a really expensive gym membership it can involve taking your dog for a walk or you know getting on that old bike that you got given for free and and riding or, you know, whatever it is, it's finding ways to kind of use your setup in a way that enables you to feel good when you do certain things and you behave in certain ways. And we can utilize that, you know, we don't have to buy something necessarily to to make us feel better. Um, So simple joys, I think it, it can be a process of discovery, can't it? That we can get out of touch with the simple joys and, and things that are free and and seemingly small um, when we are focused on that kind of material world. But it's something simple like a gratitude practice is a great way to get back in touch with the simple joys. So um, when I talk to people about gratitude practice in therapy, um, often there's this misconception that you have to be grateful for these huge. Profound things, um, you know, like your relationships or you know life. And actually, gratitude can be this chair I'm sat in at the moment. It's really comfy. I, that feels that feels good. Or you know, this cup of tea that I'm drinking. Oh, it's beautiful, brilliant. It can be something really small that, that enables you to just improve the moment and 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 feel a little bit more grateful or get in touch with um, the pleasant emotions that are available to you in any given moment.
0: Yeah, I love that and I think I think it's also, I guess the flip side of the kind of trying to buy our way or consume something that's going to make us feel good is I think often that's quite short lived. And so we know that we get, you know, dopamine hit from purchasing. I am certainly not exempt from that. You know, I speak from experience when I say, (laughs) I know we're not supposed to like buying stuff, but I do like buying stuff and you get that, you know, dopamine reward, whether it's when you order it online or whether you buy it in the shop or whether it gets, you know, delivered to your door. And I think then if you are, yeah, I'm going to buy this this thing it's going to make me feel good I'm going to buy this piece of workout kit and I'm going to it's going to make my workout better or I'm going to buy 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 and then yeah I think the I guess the flip side of of the small things and the free things is that you can be in control and and I guess be quite empowered by doing those things and repeating those things without the detrimental downside which is either I guess cost and expense or that yeah short dopamine hit that then once it wears off you're like well I need to buy something else
1: yeah And, and being able to sort of enjoy those external things but but not to exclusively look outward for um for a sense of peace or a sense of joy or pleasure that you can also um you you can also find that within yourself so it's it's love i mean i'm i'm the same you know I, i i love that feeling when i get home and there's a parcel in the porch and i think yes this is exciting and there's that moment and but i guess it's always looking out for uh, when those moments become the focal point of your day um, because, you know, other stuff is going on and it's, it's hard to get in touch with any other sense of joy. So it's all, you know, It's I guess it's the same as food or anything else. You know, it's not criminal to have a chocolate bar, but if that's all you're eating, then that's different, isn't it? So, you know, it's, it's enjoying a balance um, and I guess being self-aware enough that, that you're recognizing something has, hasn't become... Um, unhealthy for you or detrimental to your well-being Mm.
0: yeah and I think the giving yeah so I'm going to start again I also think uh, a, a suggestion that I'd like to share is around giving away as well and I know we know at Christmas people say like oh it feels as good to give gifts as it does to receive them and when you're a kid you kind of go no it doesn't but actually (laughs) actually I feel like recently I was like right you know start of the year I was like oh I need to clear out a bit of space and my office shelves was getting you know books that had been sent that I'd already read or you know sometimes I'd get sent a book and I already had a copy or I'd listened to it on audible so I thought okay I'll just start with my books and I basically went through made a pile and then I asked you know a couple of friends oh do you want a copy of this or my neighbour I said oh do you want a couple of these books and giving them away and someone being like oh thanks that's you know you yeah, know thanks so much you know do you want, do you want a five of that I'm like no no you can have it it's a gift take it and then it makes you feel like oh what else can I give away and you're like oh I'm gonna you know maybe I can donate some of these clothes or maybe I can go through the garage and sort it out and actually you know an old bike that my son's grown out of I can give that to you know the nursery or to school or and I think actually that is something that again small joys it's such a nice feeling to give something away that you know someone's going to get value out of instead of it just gathering dust in your house. So, I mean, like I said, when it comes to consumerism, I am not standing on a pedestal. I am not perfect, but it's something that I've been challenging myself to do. And it really does feel good to give your stuff away. So I'd love to suggest that as well.
1: Yeah, it's great. And, And even for those people who don't necessarily, they're not in a position to give things away, you know, giving out gratitude. So, so finding someone that you might not have expressed your appreciation to for a while and, and just expressing that to them, you know, letting them know that, that, you really enjoy that sort of fortnightly cup of coffee you have with them around the corner or um how you know how much you value them as a friend or you know just a few words i think uh, there's some lovely research that's come out recently about about all this kind of and, and how that when you do that it benefits both of you so that person who receives that sense of appreciation It takes a good hit in terms of um, how it impacts on their emotional state and their day. Um, But but you also get um, something out of it by, by expressing that gratitude. And then when you get what they give back, uh, you get something again. So just just really expressing appreciation for people in your life um, really really impacts everybody in a positive way. You know, it's like spreading kind of good mental health help in just a really small, easy way. It doesn't cost anyone anything. People often hold back from showing appreciation to others because they assume that other people realise how much they appreciate them, mm-hmm. and and that when people do show appreciation those other people um, don't find it awkward. Um, they don't feel like they've had it all before and actually they, they, it, it comes as a surprise as a surprise to them. So people often don't understand or don't realize um, how much they're appreciated by other people. and so it's always a sort of nice pleasant surprise when you know when someone takes the time to express that. So you know it can be through just simply talking to someone
0: yes i love this so much it's literally putting me in a good mood lifting my energy as you said you know it does it feels good it's like when we finish recording i'm like oh who can i go and give some (laughs) gratitude to because it's free let's give it out okay so the next one i literally as i said i picked out three so they are quite different so it feels like a little bit of a step change right now but the next one that i want to talk to you about and maybe quite selfishly is burnout So over the last two years, I am sure we have all probably heard the word, seen the word and read the word burnout more times than I've probably seen the word Um, (laughs) COVID-19. I've heard so many people say to me recently, oh my gosh, Adrienne, I am so burnt out. Or they've said, I'm so exhausted. I need a break. I'm very close to burnout. Or, you know, I've even questioned myself, like, is this tiredness? Is this what everyone says is burnout? Am I just used to it because you know as well for a lot of people you know working parents you know I'm a mum the last two years we've had so much chaos and stress and homeschooling all these different things I think our tolerance to what we can handle has potentially increased because if you're anything like me sometimes you just feel like well you know you haven't really got choice you've just got to get on with it so if someone's listening to this and they're maybe thinking maybe a bit like me okay I'm managing work and life and yes I'm busy and yes I'm you know getting pretty tired or Maybe some days feeling a bit, I don't know, demotivated or just, you know, ebbs and flows. That's natural, right? We can't just be happy and high energy all the time. What are the signs really of burnout when it's gone past just feeling tired or feeling a bit, you know, overworked? What are the signs of burnout and what are the dangers of us ignoring it and
1: thinking we can just push on? Sure. So, um, I mean, th- I think you're right. There is that that lots of people will have you know tiredness or stressful days. Burnout is burnout started uh, as a concept when it was researched in the workplace. So it was really about um, chronic stress in the workplace where people were constantly being. Um, you know, the demands were constantly being put upon people without giving them the chance to sort of rest and replenish. And the research was showing the, the huge impact that could have on people in the long term. And it does. Stress is really, really helpful to us, but it's a short term response. So it's helpful in the short term. So let's say, you know, I was nervous about um, going on a podcast. So I would, you know, I would feel um, sort of my maybe my heart would be pounding and, and I would have an increase in my alert level. And that's to help me perform, right? That's my body saying, we don't do this every day. Uh, Let's just be aware of our surroundings so that we can just be sure we're kind of doing the right thing here. And that's really, really helpful, right? If I wasn't aware and alert, then I might not perform as well as I would, as well as I could. Um, but for every sort of um, extension of that of that stress, so that extra energy that your brain is allowing your body to release for the stress response your brain wants something back for that it's like a bank account so you know you can't keep spending out without getting something back your brain wants something back in terms of either nutrition or rest or social connection those kind of things that that nourish us so um you know for for stress to go beyond the oh i've had a rough day to um I can't get out of bed in the morning um, because I can't sleep um, because I'm worried about work and um, I have now kind of you know stomach pains and I can't eat and I have headaches all the time. So there, there are these kind of when when that chronic stress starts to hit. So when when time goes on, you might have kind of disturbed sleep or changes in your appetite. Um, you might be always sort of irritable or agitated. Um, And those kind of things really impact on our relationships as well. So you might notice some people aren't that aware of the things that are going on within them, but they notice when the relationships start to deteriorate. So, you know, the person you're living with can reflect back to you your sort of current sort of mind state because, because of how you're sort of expressing yourself to them. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, not being able to switch off that kind of tired, but wired feeling. So you can't sleep at night, but you are exhausted. um, And, and there's this sort of, real struggle with with finding rest because you can't switch off. Um, There can be all sorts of physical health problems as well. So, you know, long-term stress can really deteriorate your physical health. Um, And maybe an increase in kind of um, behaviours that seem to just help in the moment. So things that give you a sense of calm or relief in the short term. So, you know, for some people, their smoking might increase or their drinking might increase or they might be eating... Um, the wrong things, um, or too much, or too little, those kind of things. So, um, but I think it, what's really important here is not to focus too much on um, do I meet a certain set of criteria so that a doctor would say, Yes, you have this label called burnout. I think what's so much more important is that we look at ourselves. So we get really honest with ourselves, we get very self reflective. So, you know, if you're even concerned that you might be burnt out, it's a suggestion that probably things aren't as they should be, or as you want them to be. Right? There is some concern over your health in some and your well being in some way. So I would say, um, you know, start looking in the mirror a little bit in terms of maybe start keeping a journal and, and looking at okay, well, um, how do I feel today? And when I feel this way. Uh, what else is in that context? So, you know, maybe I feel this way on a Monday because I know I have that meeting with my boss on a Monday. What's going on there? What's my relationship like with my boss? Or, you know, maybe I feel worse on the weekends. Maybe maybe I'm struggling in my relationship. And so it's I think it's much more helpful to look at it from the individual out rather than, What diagnosis do I match, uh, and what does that say about me? You know, so um, because it's it's work. You don't need a diagnosis to start working on your health. You'd have to wait until things get really, really bad before you start trying to improve things.
0: There's so much there that I want to loop back on, and. Even just being really, really honest and transparent, because as somebody who, of course, I my work is about well-being, about motivation and positivity, and, and really encouraging people to, you know, live a life that's fulfilling and a life that they love. And so I try to do that myself. You know, I try to lead by example. I'm not perfect. I'm not telling everybody else what to do, but I'm trying to, yeah, I guess share what works for me. So the reason I, I said at the start, you know, all a bit selfish and, and kind of bringing this up is because I do want to be honest with people. I think people sometimes have the perception of me that because I'm, you know. This is high energy you know optimism that i just feel like that every single day all day and i think in reality this month particularly january i think i've just yeah started to have that conversation with myself and with others and say okay yes you can feel tired sometimes yes you can feel like oh you've got a lot going on but the two things that you said that stood out to me one was uh, the bank account thing you know of giving you know if you deplete the account I think I think about it sometimes as like a battery I know the things that kind of drain my battery and I know the things that charge it up and sometimes if you're doing loads of the like I'm an extrovert you know I, I get charged by being with other people being in the room with people and often now I'm not you know we're doing this recording remotely I'm on a screen I'm by myself I'm in my house so as much as I might give my energy I might do a talk or a workshop online I might give my energy and you know deplete the battery a little bit But then the next two hours, as you said, I'm not doing the things that necessarily recharge my energy because I'm then by myself and I I get energy from others. So I think the the, that scenario and people really understanding, okay, what are the things that are draining my battery and what are the things that are going to charge it up? Because it's not always just the case of sleep. You know, I, I have quite a good sleep practice already. I think for me, it's definitely social connection and. You know, there's things I can do, of course, around that. But I think firstly, as I said, I wanted to be honest and share and say, okay, you know what? I'm trying to be uh, reflective and and make those changes. Uh, And then the second one was the tired but wired. Literally, when you said that, I was like, that is that's when I know that I'm, I guess, overdoing it. Because, yes, I do have a lot of energy. and I think for a lot of people who listen to this show, they're people that have, you know, jobs that maybe they really enjoy and they take on extra commitments and maybe they're training for a triathlon and maybe they've got kids and you know they're those people that are trying to spin lots of plates because they want to you know they get a lot of fulfillment out of doing lots of things but the tired but wired that's when i feel like i know myself i'm like adrian if you are laying in bed and you're thinking and you're like, oh i need to email that person back oh i need to do this oh I, that's when i'm like okay there's too much going on here because you're tired but you're not able to let your brain switch off so yeah those are the two standout things for me and i really think a lot of people listening to this are going to be nodding their heads going yes that's me too
1: Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I've tried to do that as well with with my work is is there's a lot of misconceptions that, um, oh, you're a psychologist, so you must have this problem free life. You know, you must have it all sorted. And and I was really uh, I felt really passionate about not perpetuating that and and sort of saying, um, you know, I'm a human being like anybody else. And um, I think I sort of talked about that in the introduction to the book that, um, you know, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that that if you have um, these, you know, skills or these insights from therapy, that everything will be all right. It's a toolbox that allows you to face all the stuff that life throws at us um, with with a few more ideas of how to how to come at it so that you feel more equipped to deal with really difficult times Because life's really hard. Right. It throws stuff at us. So yeah, I'm the same, I mean, and like, even think, I mean, I guess you write the book that you need, don't you? And, and at times I've, I've, you know, really felt that I've needed and used to good effect these skills that I've put in the book. And, um, and particularly around things like burnout, you know, when I've been doing this whole social media journey and the writing of the book and in doing it in lockdown, when my three children were at home at the same time, you know, I, I, I really had to kind of, practice what I preach a bit and but then the demands of life would take me away from that so I wanted to kind of be really open and honest with how this isn't stuff you have to do perfectly it's it's there will be times when life pulls you away from that. And it certainly has for me the last two years, you know that I've I, I kind of started doing my little tiny private practice so that I could manage it around the family and and have this really balanced life. And actually, what's happened in the last two years is the opposite of that. and I'm working harder than ever. Um, so it, and um, but for me, it's not then about it's not then a it's not then a moment to criticize yourself and and kick yourself while you're down. it's an it's a little signal that says, let's just stop and reevaluate let's see if we need all of this in our life what what's you know where's the balance tipping and what would we prefer it to be like where we have choice and things like that so it's really just always about self-reflection and and coming back and then making a slightly different choice or using a different skill to help us through um but yeah i mean i i, I really find that valuable in in your work and 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 others where we have to be real that you know yes i've found these great tools so i want to share them but it doesn't mean i'm now miss perfect
0: yeah for sure and actually i'd like to carry on with that for a moment about what can we do so you, you know mentioned i've been quite self-reflective myself and looking at the things in my schedule, okay, what's essential? What are the things that maybe I need to be doing a bit less of, maybe a bit more of? And I think if I'm honest as well, I, myself and others, I think we have quite an expectation of quick, you know, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll have one weekend off or I'll have maybe a week holiday. People say, I'll book a holiday. I just need to be, you know, do nothing for a week. And then they come back and potentially go straight back into, you know, the same work, the same routine, the same, uh, you know, demands. So in terms of expectation of, not just recovery, but I think, I think getting back into some kind of balance, how should we approach that? Because surely just having yeah, an early night or, or a week in the sun isn't really going to fix the overall situation.
1: Yeah. Like a, a, a one-off, uh, I, there's, um, some research actually that was always, since I came across has it, always stuck with me. Um, it is, is the idea that, that if you, you know, if you change 10% of your day, of the thing that you do every day then you've improved 10% of your life and that adds up to a lot more than the two week holiday at the end of the year when you've worked yourself to exhaustion and then you know flopped onto a sunbed for two weeks and um, and it just you know it's, it makes sense, doesn't it? But it goes against what our culture has been. Um, I think in in recent decades, this sort of be more productive, be more productive, and you know sleep when you die, and this awful kind of sense that we're never quite being enough, and there's always more to do, and you might work forty hours a week, and then have a side hustle, and a couple of kids, and then you know, and this kind of like what? Um, so that that idea of the you know improve ten percent of your debt of the thing that you do every day. Um, cause that, that also feels more manageable, you know, it's pick one small part of your day, improve it slightly so that it's better for you and your health or your recovery or whatever it is. And, and you get this compound interest over time that it adds yeah. up, you know, it doesn't feel huge, um, which puts a lot of people off at the beginning, right? It doesn't feel like a big deal. It's not some big grand gesture. So why bother? But actually, if you do that, you can then con- consistently keep it up and over the year or years, um, you get you get the benefits of it over time.
0: Yeah, I love that the compound interest. And also those things that you mentioned, you know, working this many hours and maybe having a side hustle, maybe having kids, maybe doing these things. I think those can also be again, depending on the time and stage of your life. And those can be additive things that, you know, give you more energy. I think it's just when you try to do them all at the same time, it's when you try and do them all on the same day or the same week that you find yourself kind of going, wow, this is a lot, but if you can spread things out throughout the year and say, okay, yeah, I'm focusing on this right now. And then maybe in the summer I'm focusing on something else that, that helps me a lot as well to kind of I don't yeah. want to take things off the list sometimes but I can I can schedule it in a way that's a bit more well a lot more manageable
1: yeah and it's those expectations about i'm going to do all of this and i'm going to do it all perfectly um and it's sort of yeah when are you gonna sleep (laughs) you know it's a sort of it's it's just um making the expectations around each thing realistic um and and being clear on why we're doing each thing so you know what are the what what values are they based on are they um around someone else's expectations or are they you choosing them because they're going to enhance your life in some way um which is i think uh a big sort of game changer for me
0: for sure and the last thing I want to share just because it came into my mind it was quite funny I sent this I saw this online I screened screen grabbed it and sent it to my friend who's a mum of two twins two-year-old boy twins I'm sure she won't mind me sharing and we laugh because she yeah often is in between meetings you know I mean imagine two twin two-year-olds during lockdown it says being a parent is like jumping out of a plane with a bunch of people who don't know how to open their shoes. So you fly around doing it for them. Then you hit the ground, but you don't die. You just get up and cook dinner. And then she was like... <laughs> That is for so many parents and not to exclude non-parents, obviously from this conversation of burnout, but for a lot of parents during the homeschool pandemic work, that was literally their life. They were like, I feel like I've been hit by a truck, but I need to unload the dishwasher, cook the dinner, print off some work, go to bed and do it all again tomorrow. And I think it's important that people recognize that is a lot. You cannot just be like, oh, it's fine. I'm
1: just going to do this again and again and again. We all need to take a break. Absolutely. I might. You need to send that to me. But I mean, I mean, it's so it's, it's true, isn't it? It's that we don't get to choose a lot of our stressors and, and things like uh, parenting or, um, you know, a work, that, a job that you have to maintain in order to keep a roof over your head, you know, those sorts of things where you feel like you're stuck in it. Um, and then there seems to be no, um no let up no break uh that's when it's genuinely really really difficult to to add things in or um you know try and find time to to rest and replenish um so you know these are genuinely you know difficult things to to try to maneuver around um in everyday life so you know you might not have a have a choice whether you work 60 hours a week or not Um, you might need to and and so i think it's really important to kind of keep that in mind isn't it that we can't necessarily choose to just eradicate our stress. So we need the tools to be able to sort of face them and, and look after our health as much as we can along the way.
0: Absolutely, we need the tools. We need to, I think, be quite strict sometimes with ourselves about enforcing them. So, you know, even if that's, you know, obviously I encourage people to start their day with a power hour and that could literally be, if you are, you know, have a lot of demands and you're tired, it doesn't mean, you know, get up and, I don't know, smash a workout, it could be that, okay, you, go out for a walk and it's your start to the day and it's quiet before you come back into, you know, a busy house, or it could be that maybe you only get 30 minutes, but I think knowing the tools is one thing, but I really want to encourage people to action them. And, you know, even if it's small change, it does have a big impact. So yeah, taking, taking the tools, taking the things that you're hearing and thinking, okay, I've actually got to, you know, carve out some space and time to, to do this stuff. Uh, but the next one, one more, I said, I said, I had three for you. Hopefully we we can get through all of them. Uh, the next one is about, Positive mindset and toxic positivity. So I think similar to the the phrase burnout, I had never really seen this phrase toxic positivity until the last maybe year or two. And now I feel like I see and hear it quite a lot. And, you know, everyone seems to be reacting to everything that's, you know, positive mental attitude or I don't know, creating you know, positive language and all these things, it's like, oh, it's toxic positivity, you know, stop telling people to kind of, I don't know, look on the bright side or be grateful when they're when they're struggling with something difficult, which of course is not what, you know, positive mental attitude is. And I know you can't simply think yourself rich, you know, if that's your goal, or you can't think positive and all your problems will just no longer be there. Of course, we live in the real world, but I'm someone who truly believes in the power of a growth mindset, you know, positive thinking and optimism. And I know how powerful it can be. I also know how the reverse, you know, living with a a head full of negative thoughts cannot lead to positive action. So what do you think, Dr. Julie, when and why does positivity become toxic?
1: Uh, well, I think um, something that comes to mind that you see often on social media is the sort of only positive vibes thing that, that kind of gets um, sort of plastered around, and 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 you can certainly see how that has good intentions. I think for someone who obviously works in providing therapy for people who are maybe struggling with with different types of thoughts, is that if it was if it was that easy (laughs) to just tell someone to think positive and then they would um i'd probably be out of a job um but we don't do negatives so if, if you the minute you try not to think about something you're thinking about it so if you try to eradicate negative thoughts from your life and you try to not have any of them that suggests that you have control over which thoughts pop into your head which we don't right so so our thoughts we don't choose our thoughts before they happen they happen and they're influenced by how we feel um, sort of our emotional state our physical state our relationships the things that have been said to us before and the things that are being said to us in that moment um, our culture our surroundings all, of the, all the demands placed on us everything so thoughts are generated by your brain they are a set of ideas perspectives sort of theories about what's going on around you so they're they're an attempt at your brain to understand the world as it is at the moment Uh, or they're a set of memories and that kind of thing a lot of them are memories to be fair and and so we can't choose not to have any negative thoughts and and if we did um that probably wouldn't be too safe either because if we were only sort of you know relentlessly positive about everything that's not a very balanced view that's going to keep us safe or uh give us sort of a good logical sense of reasoning about situations probably going to make us pretty vulnerable to exploitation to be fair um so we don't really want all positivity but also when when people try to you know this okay i'm going to set this goal for myself i'm only going to think positive things then you sort of set yourself up to feel like you're failing because as soon as your brain which is human and and that's how it works it it, it feeds you something that is less than positive um oh oh gosh no I can't have those thoughts what am I doing and you start to have this sort of internal argument with yourself about um the sorts of thoughts you should be allowing into your head um but when we accept that thoughts arrive uh from your brain so they are little ideas and storylines and narratives that pop up from your brain the part that you do have control over is how long you spend with those thoughts. So whether you get, so if um, I love the sort of um, the metaphor around your mind being a, a theater. So all the thoughts and feelings that that come into your mind are like actors that come on the stage. You can't control which actors come onto the stage, how long they spend there, that kind of thing. All you have is the spotlight and you can choose where you put that spotlight. So, uh, you know, some actors will come on stage and they'll make you feel good and you might want to spend time with those. Other actors will come on stage and they don't make you feel good, but they are shouting really loudly, danger, danger, you know, something's gonna go wrong. And so they demand your attention just as much as anything else. Um, but it's then it's then our job to choose which of those thoughts we're going to spend lots of our time with, give the limelight to, you know, turn the volume up on, and which we're going to allow to pass by. Because at some point, they will leave the stage again. Um, but often when we try to block them out and we don't want to have them on stage, then they can even spend longer than that, longer on the stage than we want them to, because uh, we then find that internal battle going on. So um, it's a very sort of long-winded way of kind of saying, you know, you can't stop the negative thoughts from coming, but then you can choose what to do with them once they're there.
0: I love that so much. That is such a visual, clear representation, especially for somebody who used to be on the stage. I feel like that is (laughs) such a clear visual. And do you know what I really like about that is it's quite similar to what Robert Greene says in his in his work around emotion and human understanding that the human condition. And he says that, you know, we shouldn't demonize a certain emotion like anger or jealousy or envy as being bad and try and, you know, I never want to feel anger or, or, or envy or jealousy. And he said, people are hypocrites because they don't admit to having those feelings, which of course we all do. So I really like that idea of, you know, maybe jealousy or envy or anger turns up on the stage, but you don't have to give it the spotlight, give it the attention. And I think as well, it made me think of, you know how some people, let's be honest, they love drama. They love to kind of almost wallow in that negativity of like say something or someone does something to wrong them. It's like they will tell you 10 times, you know, this and this happened and then they said this to me and they almost want to, you know, whether it's gossip or whether it's drama. It's like really giving attention to that negative, you know, the negativity in their life. And after a while, I think it becomes almost like, I suppose, like anything, a habit, right? We all have habits. It becomes a habit to just talk about the bad things, highlight the bad things and and give that the most of our, our energy. So I think, yeah, maybe not so much about toxic positivity, but actually thinking, yeah, where are you choosing? Cause it is a choice, right? Where are you choosing to put the spotlights, put the focus and the energy and which, yeah, which one do you think deserves your attention? Cause which one's going to make you ultimately feel good and have the best, most favorable outcome for you and your situation. It's probably not giving all the attention and energy to, yeah, the thing you want to complain about, even though that can be quite tempting.
1: Yeah, and it's really looking at um, what sort of is the energy and attention you're giving to the negative or painful stuff um, useful for you? So you know, sometimes um, that's the difference between you know therapy and rumination, for example. So you know, people think, oh, you know, why would I go to to therapy and just ruminate over negative stuff? Well, actually, therapy isn't rumination. Rumination is when we kind of have almost like a thought washing machine. So. We'll think of all that stuff that we feel terrible about or that helps us to keep feeling terrible and we churn it over and over and over and we go over these terrible memories and, and we allow them to really sort of pull us down. So that's rumination, which, which is associated with maintaining depression. So that will keep depression going, for example but there's a real time and a place for thinking very carefully about things that are um that you're struggling with or you know a difficulty in a relationship that feels negative because it is and and a lot of life is negative but if we can look at that Um, and and reflect on it in a in a careful and helpful way to say you know what's going on here can I understand it in a way that can then help me deal with it Um, then that's a really great time and a place to to give negativity the spotlight if you're then looking at it to be able to learn from it and help yourself through it um, whereas the complete blocking out of it um, it's likely to kind of catch up with you so it's it's you know having careful choice i think
0: mm, i think this is really really powerful stuff and you know your book as you said the title why has nobody told me this before i think this is really powerful and i think had we grown up you know like had i learned these things in school and because i think it's really really impactful for 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 all of us but especially for young people who are navigating so much change right now so thank you julie and let's talk about the power hour So, of course, this is the point in the show when I would love to hear about the first hour of your day. Uh, As you said, you know, just because you're a psychologist and because you share all these wonderful tools doesn't mean that you yourself are exempt from the challenges of, of modern life. For me, Power Hour started how many years now? Six years ago. But the focus of it remains the same. It's really about, you know, having an hour free from distraction free from interruption so dr julie i'd love to know what time do you typically get up each day at the moment and what's the first hour of your day like
1: sure so um i i have three children to get to well two of them go to school and another one goes to nursery or to my parents um and so well, the last, the last in, in all honesty, the last two years has kind of turned my life upside down because I used to be an early bird. I would go to bed and then I could get up early, and you know. Sort of make use of that first hour of the day but um since i've been doing these videos and it's just me and my husband that do them so we tend to i he still works full time so we, um he comes home in the evening um we do the, the family bit and we get the children to bed and then we start the night shift of making videos and stuff like that so that can generally go on till midnight sometimes one o'clock wow. in the morning so um it can be a bit tricky um and has completely sort of shifted my um sort of sleep rhythm um so that makes getting up any earlier than absolutely necessary um a real struggle for me because i need my sleep so i've actually been getting up later than i used to um so i get up and then it's all about just getting everyone to school so i um, because i found it really interesting actually when um I, I loved your book, and I thought, oh, God, this is such a great concept, isn't it, of just blocking out this one, you know, it's like we were saying, about improve 10% of your day. It's this kind of mm-hmm. idea, isn't it, of, of, of taking that time for yourself. And I think for me, as my life is at the moment, um, I think that power hour for me would have to be sort of in the middle of the day during the school hours I think um, where that time is blocked out for me to work but essentially I work late into the night as well. So yeah mornings have been sort of flipped upside down although actually saying that in, in the interest of kind of being self-reflective and reviewing this, we've recently um, invested in a new um, sort of monitor so that I can film more of our videos. By myself without needing an extra pair of hands so that might shift in it and if the late evenings shift back so that i can go to bed earlier then um i think i would love to sort of get up in the morning and do a bit of exercise i think just i I know i always feel better straight after exercise so i'd probably go out for a little run around especially in the summer months i love those early kind of sun's just risen um a little jog around yeah it does me good
0: yeah i'm sure a lot of people will probably be quite relieved and quite um assured to hear that because i know i I certainly get messages from people who say adrian i listen to a podcast and i love it but a lot of the guests don't have kids or you know a lot of the guests say that they do this you know two hours of journaling and me time and reflection and pilates or whatever they do in the morning and they're like you know i I just don't it's not accessible for me it's not achievable right now because i have a six-month-old or because i have a two-year-old and so of course i'm not saying this is a blanket one size fits all everybody should you know, do this at this time, I think it's quite nice to hear that yeah okay you used to have that in your life right now for whatever reason work demands the season that you're in you don't have it yeah. right now and maybe in the future you'll return to it again i think i definitely obviously i'm winting a little bit when you said 12 one o'clock in the morning i'm like oh my gosh dr <laughs> julie i'm like get a ring light let's get recorded earlier but also you know the seasonality you're right when the days get longer and they're lighter it will be light you know at the moment it's dark in the morning till maybe 7 30 it'll be light soon at, you know six in the morning so of course the the early bird in me is like You can get up and do your your video in the sunshine in the morning, but I, I totally hear you that needs must and life is not perfect and none of us are perfect. And I think even, you know, whatever you, whatever perfect is, I think it's great to know that in seasons, things change, they ebb and flow, and maybe it's not the season for you right now to have an early power hour and that's fine
1: yeah and it kind of it, we've kind of gone from one to another so I think when we first started I was I was getting up at five um to try and film before the kids got up um and actually the the, the times when I did that it, it did it feel good so once the children got up I did feel good because I'd you know got myself up and I felt refreshed and I'd sort of done something towards the day um uh but um my husband is very much a night owl, so when he's involved in the filming, it tends to be late in the, e- because, you know, we kind of, uh, he'll then have to sort of stay up late editing and stuff like that, so then he'll have to get up late. And so, yeah, I mean, it is a season, isn't it? And it's um, it's been sort of two years, but I don't imagine it's going to be this way forever. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's always adjusting, I think, isn't it? And and looking for, like you say, the main um, useful part of the rule is you find or make some time that's just for you, um, where you can work on yourself.
0: Yeah, because credit where it's due, Dr. Julie, you are doing incredible amount of work as a psychologist, as an author, as a mother of three, and creating all this content online. I think that's the key point as well for people to realise is sometimes when they say to me, oh, Adrian, I'd love to do that, but I don't have time. Or, you know, in reality, you're doing a lot there because it's important to you so you're making the time to do it you know and i'm not saying again people can flex that to suit however they want it doesn't necessarily mean that they should stay up till midnight or they should get up early but i think in reality we all have to make choices and choices sometimes require sacrifice and I know that my message sometimes you know I hope people will receive it with the encouragement that is meant with it but reality is we have to make those choices and sometimes saying oh I don't have time to you know update LinkedIn or oh I don't have time to read that book or I really want to do this Adrienne I really want you to help me about enough time I think we've got to take some ownership some responsibility for ourselves and go you know what if it's important you have got to figure out a way to carve that 20 minutes a day one hour a day whatever because when you start to put yourself and your priorities first you know it's not selfish right to go I want to do this it's important to me we have to accept sometimes that there's not going to be more time you know there's not going to be more time next Thursday or in two weeks or in six months. Oh, oh I'll have more time you won't it's just not going to happen so we have to take it and go you know what I'm going to reclaim it I'm going to make it work.
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes it's about really being in touch with your values and why you want it so much and why it's so important to you, Um, because it's going to be really, really hard to, you know, whatever, you know, the number of hours we have in the day, we fill them out. We 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 maximize them with other stuff. And so if we need to reevaluate, change is difficult. And and certainly for me, the, you know, the last two years, uh, my balance has been completely out of whack. And I, I I felt like I had a really good balance when I was, you know, just running the therapy practice and I was doing that and, and balance, balancing that around being a mom and everything sort of felt um, quite healthy. And then the last couple of years, you know, felt like this this huge opportunity that I had to take. But the, the sacrifice has genuinely been in my own health, you know, in the kind of, you know, I've sacrificed uh, things like exercise and rest and extra hours of sleep and and all the way along I've had my sort of alarm bells ringing and saying this isn't right this isn't this is out of balance this isn't how I want it to be and I think it's always keeping in in line with that isn't it and knowing that okay at some point being able to change this is going to be really hard um, because it's going to mean something has to give but can I look at it all and go what's going to give now um so yeah it's it's where is my sacrifice going to be i guess
0: yeah and again to, i think i've been running a program this month and a lot of the people on it's a high performance well-being program and i think a lot of people who are a types who are high achievers who are doing lots of things i think there's a lot of stuff out there telling you how to you know, improve, how to get better, how to be more quote unquote successful. But I think there's not as much information out there for people for in a situation like yourself to say, okay, what now, when do I make those changes? And as you said, change is difficult. So how do I now reflect and go, okay, this is a great opportunity. These things are important to me, my family and my health, of course, are very important to me as well. And really going back to those values and saying, okay, what's essential? What do I need to carry on with and what's the next season of my life going to look like so that we don't have to feel like we're missing out, but we also know that, yeah, we can we can sustain our lives and, and be healthy and and live a life that's fulfilling because I think a lot of yeah a lot of high achieving people right now are just like oh my gosh I, I can't stop because yeah this opportunity or, or or that and like it's gonna go away I've got to do it all but actually I think we all need to maybe hold each other to account and go you've done really well you've got a brand new book which is a Sunday Times bestseller maybe you know taking that time to go let me just acknowledge that the work that I've done and uh, yeah find a bit of balance and and give yourself a break Julie you deserve it
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely and there is a sense of kind of when something feels temporary so when you've got a, a deadline or something it's understandable that those sorts of things pull you away from the balance that you want ideally um as long as that you know because one goal can be replaced by another replaced by another and and so it's yep. it's always stepping back to say what are the goals that are most important to me and uh so for example for me my health is is you know right at the top there so it needs to um, come back up and something I included in the book actually is these like sort of values check-ins where it only takes I don't know as long as you want it to take really 10 minutes or an hour to sit down with a piece of paper and, and look at the different areas of your life and how rate how important they are to you but then also to rate how um how much you're living in line with those values so for example if you consider yourself a very healthy person um but you know you haven't exercised in three months then you might look at go okay well this is important to me why am i not living in line with it what are the hurdles what's getting in the way there and where are the opportunities for me to come back you know to to live more in line with that value from today, um, which I, I find really kind of helpful for just doing those little readjustments
0: yeah me too and thank you i mean first first person to give gratitude to today is you because i've really really loved this episode this conversation i think it's been so honest and so you know as i say impactful i think so many conversations around these kind of topics are like oh do this do that everything it's got to be perfect but i really appreciate the yeah the reality check of like we feel this too you know we are also navigating this and, and using these tools ourselves so thank you so much dr julie for joining us on the power hour
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: And thank you everyone for tuning in. As always, share this episode with anyone who you think might benefit from it and have an awesome week. Stay safe and we'll be back next week. See ya.